Confluence Radio is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. Hello, and welcome to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. At the mouth of the Columbia River, 1,400 miles of water flow comes to an end at the Pacific Ocean. This is where Lewis and Clark ended their 8,000-mile journey in 1805. At Confluence, we like to say that their journey's endpoint is where Confluence's work began, to reinterpret who this story is about and to include the long-neglected voices of indigenous people. 200 years after the Lewis and Clark journey, the first Confluence art installation was completed in 2006 at Cape Disappointment State Park on the Washington side of the river. Designed by the celebrated artist Maya Lin, the site features the Cedar Circle, an oyster shell walkway, a boardwalk inscribed with text from the Lewis and Clark journals, the overlook where you can see Baker Bay, and a fish cleaning table inscribed with the Chinook creation story. To understand more of the story of Cape Disappointment, we're going to hear from Rachel Cushman, Secretary Treasurer of the Chinook Indian Nation. We'll also hear from Aaron Webster, a longtime Washington State Park interpretive ranger at Cape Disappointment State Park. But first, we'll hear from the chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation. Okay, well, my name is Tony Johnson. That's my tax name. Nascio is my name I like to go by, or I feel strongly about Nascio. And I'm uh, the chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation. Probably more importantly than that to me is I'm the longtime chairman of the culture committee for my Chinook community and 20, maybe closer to 30 years probably in as a culture committee member. And so really just a person born and raised in our territory here, uh, born in South Bend, Washington, same place as my dad. My grandfather was born in Bay Center. And then his mom was born on the Columbia River, Pillar Rock. And that's her village, and that's where much of my family comes from. And aside to that, and we're saying is she was born uh, in 1886 when the salmon berries were in bloom. That's her birth date. And she actually took uh, took some elders down to uh, the courthouse to get a birth certificate as an old woman when Social Security was a new thing. And uh, that's the te- that's what they testified. <laughs> but Iktapushwawa, um, Kadapushwawa, you know, we have a tradition if somebody, you know, you stand up to speak at an event and we are taught to say we have a few words before we speak. And that's kind of a funny sounding thing maybe. But that few words is really to tie ourselves to our genealogies. And so I'm not necessarily going to give you that whole genealogy here. It is something I'd always do at a naming or an event that we're doing. But what that does is it gives us the right to say the things that we're going to say or perform maybe the songs or whatever it is that we're going to sing. It just, it's what grounds us to our place and our heritage
Hi, my name is Rachel Cushman. I am a leader of the Chinook Indian Nation. My leadership role is both hereditary and elected. My hereditary status comes from my grandfather, Chief Wasilta of the Klaatsa people, a primary negotiator and signer for the Klaatsa tribe of Chinooks at the Anson Dart Treaties in 1851. I'm also the elected secretary of the tribal council. I was elected in 2017, so I'm going in to my seventh year or in my seventh year. I have a lot of roles that I play within community. I'm also a lead puller and skipper of our canoe family. I am a published scholar. I write about pigmentocracy in Indian country. I write about fire practice and radical sovereignty. My name is Aaron Webster, and I've been working here at Cape Disappointment State Park for about 21 years. I became involved in the Confluence Project early on as part of my role as an interpretive specialist. I am tasked with managing our museum, the Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center, as well as the interpretive program in general. And so it's my job to kind of have my hand in anything that is in the kind of educational realm here. and. When I got hired, we were in the planning process for the bicentennial for Lewis and Clark. And that is kind of where the Confluence Project got its start with local folks here on the Long Beach Peninsula wanting to have some kind of lasting legacy for this bicentennial. And although it started out as a project that was focused on Lewis and Clark, I think we found that it ended up as a project that's more focused on indigenous voices. There are five main artworks at Cape Disappointment. And the first one I'll mention is the first one that really was the genesis of the whole Confluence Project itself. It was the genesis of Maya's thoughts about Cape Disappointment. And that's the fish cleaning table. When Maya Lynn first came to the park, she found an old, rusty fish cleaning table, heavily used in, in an environment that was not pretty at all. And so she envisioned a new fish cleaning table there and, and a kind of a fixing up of the view shed in that area. And so what she created was a solid basalt, solid rock fish cleaning table. And inscribed on this is the Chinook origin story as recorded by James Swan. So it is the genesis of the Confluence Project and, and it represents the genesis of the Chinook people. Going about a quarter mile north of there, you have an oyster shell path leading to a viewing platform. The viewing platform is kind of a quiet and contemplative space, has some benches overlooking the Columbia River estuary. And it is inscribed with a quote from the Lewis and Clark journals that is just a descriptive quote talking about changes in the weather and, and the, the appearance of the river being very changeable. As you walk from the Columbia River side over to the ocean side, you'll encounter the boardwalk. The boardwalk is a path leading to a beach on the ocean that is called Waikiki Beach. And the boardwalk is inscribed with a long quote from the Lewis and Clark journals that 
is a summary of the entire journey as a journey through native lands. Right next to the boardwalk, we've got another path with inscriptions. It's called the Blessing Path. And it is inscribed with a poem that was read by Tony Johnson at the groundbreaking ceremony for the Confluence Project. And it's a poem that encourages the reader to let nature show them the way, to, to let nature teach you. You are listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. At the Confluence Art Installations at Cape Disappointment, the pathways are filled with oyster shells, a reminder of some of the first foods of Native people here. There's also a Chinook blessing with the refrain asking the water, the earth, and the plants and animals to teach us and show us the way. Here's Tony Johnson. You know, an aside is that when the first ships came and people were trying to learn something about Chinook people and study Chinook people and say, well, what do you call God or whatever? And I'm sure we looked at them not really understanding what they meant. And uh, so they'd say, well, you know, who made the place and whatever. And our answer every time was eat all of us, eat all of us, eat all of us is coyote because you know, he came through our territory getting things ready for human beings. And so that's, you know, the start of, I think, a very different view of the world than what, you know, the, the average European or whatever thinks about it. Um, you know, we know there was a whole world happening here before there were human beings. You know, all these stories that talk about the animals, those were just like human beings. They were like Indians, but they weren't quite like us. And they went around doing their thing. And, you know, all of these stories ultimately come down and provide us a teaching of how we're supposed to interact with each other, place and with animals and fish and whatever. But... uh you know, we're not sitting on the world, I guess, as as Chinook Indians or, I mean, we're just built into it. I mean, it's like, I don't even know really how to describe how we're connected to the place, but, you know, our spirituality is like breathing. That's what I was told. You know, our, the way that our Tamanoas, Tamanoas is our religion, works is, I mean, it's like the sun shining. I don't know how to describe that, but you know, our religion is a wintertime religion. And in the summertime, the sun powers us as human beings. I mean, it just, it's, it provides the energy for humans. And in the wintertime, our religion is what powers us. And the religion, or I mean, everything tied to it is just a natural part of the world. It cycles across the world, around the world, and it comes to us in the wintertime. And so everything about us, from the way you know we're supposed to treat or talk to a salmon, 
when we first start catching them in the river to the way that our religion works or whatever it is, it's it's just built into the place. It's built into us and we're built into it. It's really hard to describe. You asked about the prayer at Cape Disappointment and that's a really typical kind of prayer to ask the wind, the rain, whatever it is that's there at the moment when you're praying, right? Eagle, ant, I mean anything that uh, the wind, especially, the thunderbird, whatever it is to just carry your words to the place that they need to go to be heard, to You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. We'll hear more from Rachel Cushman and Tony Johnson, but first, here's Aaron Webster. And then at the end of the Blessing Path, you have the Cedar Circle. The Cedar Circle is a collection of five driftwood sculptures that aims to get the reader to look both backwards and forwards in time. But in thinking about Cape Disappointment, you know, we were dispossessed of our land so that the general population can enjoy this beautiful place. And, you know, and that was partially, uh, they were, they were able to do that because that area is, you know, where our summertime, our, our nicer weather villages were, you know, a lot of the folks who were bar pilots on the Columbia River lived in those villages the original bar pilots at one point in time only chinook and people could be bar pilots because we were the only ones that could navigate the shoals you know right off land and so when we had stormy winter months we would move tucked behind bear ridge right over there just south of that into the nacelle area so I don't even know why you'd have to see the river because can't you feel it underneath you? You know, you sit off that mouth of that Columbia River or any of our bays here and you can't miss it. You know, either coming in or going out. And anyway, that's an interesting idea. But, you know, a lot of what we do in the canoes is what you feel. You know, you really do have a sense of that. You know, I mean, you need to know that, how the water is. Um, that uh, the the rocks there at Cape Disappointment pr- play an uh, important part in a whole lot of stories and history that we've inherited. Um, we've inherited the name and some stories of the village that sat just tucked inside of the rocks there, just inside the mouth of the Columbia River, was our westernmost village there on the Columbia on the North Shore, and it's called Walumlum. Walumlum means rotten wood, and the Coast Guard station is sitting on it today. It wasn't a huge village, but it was important, and, a, you know, important enough to be remembered and have a history that 
despite all the other stuff that's happened, you know, been remembered to today. Um, those rocks, though, play an important part in uh story of when we had been dislocated, I guess, from the land and uh, call it a tsunami or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, but you know, the story kind of says a flood. But the point is, is it says that we had, were coming ashore in a really large canoe and that all that was visible because the whole place was flooded. The only thing that we could see was the top of that rock there at Cape Disappointment. And uh, we came to that land, the water was receding, and we tied that canoe by the stern to that rock. And then we went inland and made a life, started to, you know, bring back what we knew about living on the land. And um, they say that when they went back, the people went back, for the big canoe, years, maybe generations, by the way, later, um, that it was all covered over in sand and covered in knick-knick and salal and uh, some of the important plants, um, tea. From that area, and when I say that area, I mean the Long Beach Peninsula because that canoe was was what became the Long Beach Peninsula. And if you look at it today, I mean, look at it on a map, it's it's a canoe. It's as plain as day that it's a canoe, but it's 21-mile-long sand canoe. But that's, you know, kind of a important story for the people from right here about that place. In fact, this year... Well, actually, a couple of years ago when we traveled to Bella Bella by canoe, we put together T-shirts that had a design of uh, our home trying to show the territory of our Clatsop and Kathlamet and our Wakayakum and Lower Chinook and Willapa people on a map. And when we put that together, we put our canoe, one of our style canoes, in place of the Long Beach Peninsula to remind people of that story. But also we wanted to be able to go north and, and show people from a long ways from us, you know, where we were from and a little bit about the geography of our place. You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. In 1851, the Chinook Nation signed treaties with the federal government, but they were never ratified by the U.S. Senate. More than a century and a half later, that's left the Chinook unrecognized in the eyes of the federal government. The tribe was briefly recognized in 2001, but the Bush administration rescinded that recognition within a year and a half. The fight for regaining that recognition continues to this day. You can find out more at ChinookJustice.org. So the Chinook Indian Nation, like almost every single indigenous nation in the United States has a long history of dispossession, dispossession of our lands and our life ways and our experience at Cape Disappointment or that of dispossession. Um, currently, the 
CAPE is owned by the Was by Washington State. Um, it's controlled under Washington State Parks, which the Chinook Indian Nation has built a relationship with. Um, but it's it's not under our jurisdiction. It's not under our control. And you know that whole area around Cape Disappointment is like that. You have you know the the state park itself, and you have the Coast Guard station. You have Sand Island. Previously, with Confluence and uh, Voices of the River, Volume 2, I published Awakening the Land, uh, which talks about our history at Sand Island, which was military force removal of Chinook and people from our fishing grounds and, and that important history. Yeah, that's, you know, constantly changing. In the last couple of years, we've been working really hard on Chinook justice. If you want to know more about the actual campaign, you can visit ChinookJustice.org and get a little bit more information. You can sign petitions, write letters of support, you know, get on our mailing list and, uh, you know, really help out that way. But I think the most important thing is um, being educated about what's happening. So Chinook Indian Nation fought a long, arduous battle for recognition we submitted our formal recognition petition in the early 80s. And just for a little background history on recognition in the Pacific Northwest, prior to the creation of the Office of Federal Acknowledgement in the 70s, late 70s, there wasn't a formal process for recognition. It's like a gray area, legal gray area that we existed in. And it wasn't just Chinook. There was a lot of tribes that lived in this legal gray area. Um, there was also tribes in the Pacific Northwest who'd experienced termination, which was a congressionally uh, driven uh, act to strip tribes of their government to government relationship with the United States government. Um, three of Chinook's tribes are listed in Oregon Termination Act laws. The Clatsop, Kathlamet, and Lower Chinook were listed in the Oregon Termination Act, which is PL 588. And all the tribes in Oregon have since been restored through acts of Congress, besides our three tribes that are listed. And I could go on forever to talk about that whole process. But that being said, there's there's a, a couple pathways to recognition and we are going for every single pathway to recognition right now. And one of those is our Chinook Justice Campaign, which is a campaign that is working with members of Congress to propose a restoration bill similar to what the Oregon tribes did in the 70s and 80s. I think the most important part is like we have a relationship now, but being a nation that uh, is formally recognized, which Chinook Indian Nation doesn't currently have state-sanctioned recognition or nation recognition, um, and it's something that we've been battling since, but, you know, we don't have protections that federally recognized tribes have, but we build relationships. And so currently we have a relationship, but no actual federal policy or state policy requiring the state to the state park to work with us. And so one of the things that we're really working on is gaining that federal recognition so that we can actually have a grounding like to to have jurisdiction on our lands. 
You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. Art can make us think about our own role in a place, its environment, and its history. Here's Aaron Webster to talk more about that. When I do tours of the Confluence Project, I think one of my main goals is to bring my visitors into the art and not just present it, oh, it's art about this or it's art about that, but to try to present it as this is about you, you know, dear reader, or, 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 or this is about you, the visitor, and your relationship with the events of the past and the events of the future. I think this was one of Maya's goals was to not stop in the past, but to use the past as a way to encourage us to think about the future. So I try to get my, my audiences, my visitors, often this is school groups, to think about their own role in history. And I try to promote the idea that we are responsible for the next chapters in history. I try to get people to think about their own role in history and in the future. I try to get people to see themselves as history makers, that we're not just here to witness what happened in the past, but we're here to learn from that and to create the type of future that we want to create. And so I ask my visitors, what sort of future do you see for Cape Disappointment? What sort of future do you see for the salmon or for the relationship between the U.S. government, and the Chinook tribe. I try to get them to, to take a kind of a personal stake in the whole thing. Rather than just seeing it from far away, I try to put them right in it. One hat that I wear is I am on the Confluence Community Advisory Committee, and you know we get to work on really cool projects with one another and help advise confluence on museum exhibitions, the Voices from the River journal, the art program that y'all got going. And, you know, it's been just really great. And it's been awesome to see these programs come to fruition. And then, you know, with students and educators coming out to the sites and learning, not just from, you know, plaques but from people and so people telling their stories in really meaningful ways and I absolutely love that at each of these sites it's very respectful of territory you know while we we work with each other along the river and we have these relationships and sometimes overlapping you know gray areas where we kind of blend in together we really respect our sovereignty to place because sovereignty is inherent and it comes from the ancestors and the place. And so respecting that is is something that I find really beautiful that Confluence does that you don't see from a lot of organizations. And so, you know, and I, Woodrow Hunt released that video not that long ago about stories from the canoe. And, you know, he even put that in there talking about territory and talk about respect and, and, and honoring relationships that are long before colonial relationships. Right. 
And so, you know, I think that's one of the things that I really love. And when Confluence visits Cape Disappointment, Confluence always is like, let's bring Chinook folks in and have them talk about place. So we're not interpreting, we're not making up what the Chinook think, but we're asking the Chinook, what do you think? You've been listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. Thank you to Tony Johnson, Chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation, Rachel Cushman, its Secretary-Treasurer, and Aaron Webster, a longtime Washington State Park interpretive ranger at Cape Disappointment. To find out more about visiting Cape Disappointment State Park, check out the Confluence website and also the Washington State Parks website. To find out more about Confluence and our five completed sites along the Columbia River, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. There you can also buy the Voices of the River journal. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today. Thanks for listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. 